Hello, and welcome to a special episode of Georgie's Stripping the Dipping podcast. I'm your unusual co-host, F1 Blag, and today we have a fantastic guest. We're going to talk all about socioeconomic mobility in motorsport. So without further ado, Ryan Yates, welcome to the show. How are you doing? I'm good, thank you. Thanks for having me. How are you? Oh, not too bad, thank you. I'm off work at the moment, so I'm just sort of relaxing, having my sort of couple of weeks off. Um, so tell us, Ryan, if you're introducing yourself to, to someone who doesn't know you, how do you do that? Who is Ryan Yates? Who is Ryan Yates? Uh, I guess I'll start from uh, where I grew up. Uh, so I uh, grew up in Rochdale in the northwest of England. Uh, it's about eight miles northeast of Manchester. Um, spent the first 18 years of my, of my life there. Um, had a, a pretty normal upbringing, I would say, as normal as it goes. Um, I definitely... Uh, when I was a youngster, I played with a lot of uh, different sort of STEM toys. Uh, I remember my first sort of scale electric set. Um, I grew up watching Top Gear and things like that. So my love of cars really stemmed from that. Um, I also as well, when uh, when I was a youngster, um, I'd often go around to my grandma's house and uh, the next door neighbor had a, a massive train set uh, there, something that really honestly belonged in the museum. So. Uh, I was a bit of a nerd and a geek when I was younger, for sure. Um, but I don't think you ever really lose that as you get older. Um, and honestly, that's a little bit of what's carried through into into the the, the startup that I run now. Um, and I guess what we're probably going to talk a little bit more about today. No, brilliant. And uh, so STEM is going to come up a bit. And that's, I think, science, technology, engineering and maths. Is that right? Yes. Um, in fact, at, at Dutchie Motorsport, we use uh, STEAM more regularly, ah. which is science, technology, engineering, arts and maths, um, okay. which often gets the running joke, oh, you might as well just say all industries, but it's not quite all of them. But yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's interesting. So the A for arts, like these guys have wheedled their way back into, no, I'm joking. Uh, I'm, I'm a maths <laughs> graduate, so I'm kind of part of the STEM family, I suppose. Yeah, that's yeah. Well, gone. I'm an engineering graduate, so you know. <laughs> yeah, we would have glanced at each other from across the kind of university campus if, if I wasn't ridiculously old. So, uh, speaking <laughs> of sort of age, tell us about like your first motorsport memory. What's the first thing you can picture when you think about motorsport as a child? First thing, I think it would have to be. I well, I watched my first Formula One race uh, when I was. I think it was definitely around the 2007 season um, or probably my earliest memory around the time when Hamilton was coming into the sport. Um, yeah, that would be, that's my very sort of earliest memories, I would say, for sure. I mean, those cars were pretty good looking as well. So a good time for your eyes yeah. to be transfixed on the sport. Yeah. yeah Did you have any? Then, yeah. Oh, no, go on. I'm sorry. I was just going to say, uh, my yeah, I, I, those cars were pretty magnificent. And to be honest, I uh, uh, I've been a lifelong McLaren fan ever since I uh, I saw uh, the, uh, the the Silvo, well, the Chrome and, and red McLaren all the way back then. Um, I kind of wish it was that old livery now. To be honest, not to say I don't like the papaya, but yeah, yeah, <laughs> it's no, quite It is interesting because for different people, McLaren has have different liveries. So clearly, we've had papaya for a few years. We had the kind of black, I guess, for like an extremely unsuccessful period yeah, with the yeah. kind of Honda engine. And then, yeah, like the, the kind of chrome and red um, sponsors permitting, I suppose, with 
there. For me, I, I guess I would associate um, McLaren with the red and white Marlboro livery. So mm. I don't know. Yeah, I, I guess that's like a question to people listening. Reply to this podcast. What is your sort of McLaren livery that you remember or that you associate most of the team? So did you, and Ryan, did you have any drivers that you particularly followed back then? Um, I mean, I always thought Raikkonen was pretty cool. I'll never forget when, uh, and, and I, I, this is probably going back further than when I first watched Formula One, but uh, I do remember um, my dad showing me a clip of when uh, Raikkonen, I think he either broke down or had a crash at Monaco. And then um, he, instead of going back to the pit wall, um, he decided that he would go, to his his yacht and just crack open a nice drink <laughs> while the rest of the race was continuing. Um, I think I became a, a little bit of a fan of his after that. I thought that was quite funny and quite cool. Um, but yeah, I, no, I think um, currently uh, my favourite Formula One driver is Lando Norris. Um, I love what he's done to to sort of bring young people into the sport, especially during the pandemic, um, with a lot of the work he did uh, around esports um, and sort of connecting with his audience that way. Um, and just the, the level of social media engagement he got with that was was pretty amazing to, to kind of see. Um, between those, sort of the gap of when I saw that Raikkonen clip and, and Lando, which is obviously he's quite recent. Um, yeah, probably my favourite driver was, was Lewis Hamilton, in all honesty. Um, not just because of his success, but his story and, and where he came from. You know, a lot of people will assume he obviously comes from carts and things like that, but... Um, you know, it really started for him with a small remote control car um, that his, his dad bought him and then realized that he had amazing hand-eye coordination and thought, well, I wonder how this transfers into a real car. Um, and it, it transferred really, really well. So, um, yeah, I thought that was pretty, pretty inspiring, to be honest. Yeah, that's like perhaps the best hunch in sporting history. Like, I wonder how this guy's going to do behind the wheel. So, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> so before we hear more about your startup, Let's just talk a little bit about uh, the latest F1 news. So we're at the start, yeah. as we record this, of um, the summer. So we just had the Belgian Grand Prix in Spa. I'm vaguely assuming the next race is going to be in the Netherlands. I could be wrong about yeah. that. Um, but it's all, all that sort of Europe flavour. But there's a good few weeks where the factories are told to close down. We've heard, I think, from, from some quote-unquote sources that uh, from 2026... There will be similar rules for engines that mean that if one engine supplier is more than 3% down on power, then essentially they have that opportunity to do more testing and development to catch up. Is that something you've yeah. heard uh, this week? Yeah, I have. It's, it's, um, it feels like it's been going around the rumor mill a, a little while. And uh, yeah, it's, I mean, in terms of my thoughts on it, I think it, it's interesting when... You know, you look at sort of motorsports and categories in general, I feel like um, the ones that do best are the ones that really kind of know what they are. Um, and I think Formula One for a period before the, I would say, the sort of American sort of takeover that happened a few years ago, um, it, I'm not quite sure it knew where it wanted to go. It was very like heavily focused on the technology and implementing that and and you know there was a point where it almost felt like a big sort of technology demonstration in, in a way and the fans kind of almost took a bit of a, a back seat if uh, if that makes sense but um now it feels like the, the the direction is very much for how do we make this sport as entertaining as possible and how do we keep the racing as close as possible because i think they've looked 
sort of across the pond at, at NASCAR and IndyCar and thought fans really do engage with that kind of motorsport an awful lot, and especially the younger audiences that have started to come through. Um, that as a, as a thing of importance is, is sort of really heavily weighted in the minds of those who run Formula One, I think now. So um, the technology is important. I'm, the engineering me is slightly sad to see the more of the simplification of the power units, but then the motorsport fan in me is very glad that actually the less technical and almost sometimes the less quick the cars are, the more closer the racing is. So I think all in all, I, I think it will be a positive thing. And also the fact that um, the cars are hopefully going to get lighter from 2026 as well. I think uh, that was my one gripe with the new regulations personally is that the cars didn't look like they was there was as chuckable, if you like, and that kind of ruined the racing a little bit at times. Yeah, that's a huge shout. I mean, from, let's say, mid-90s, the cars were barely over 500 kilos and now they're up yeah. nearly 800. So, you know, percentage-wise, that is a huge, that's a 60% growth uh, you know, if we all put on 60% weight, we'd notice it significantly. We'll probably have to go to the doctor. So, <laughs> so yeah, yeah. Um, so, I mean, absolutely. Uh, the motorsport fan in me wants closer racing. It's interesting because I've not really thought that the likes of Mercedes, Ferrari, and I suppose what we're going to call them, we can't call them Honda. Maybe we're going to call them Red Bull power units for the time being, that they're all been <laughs> vaguely in the same ballpark, but maybe Renault have been a bit adrift. Perhaps that's where the motivation is coming from to make sure that fourth supplier doesn't just say, I'm out of here. I don't know. What do you think? Yeah, I, I would agree with that. And I also think if you're a new powertrain supplier looking to come in, so we know Ford are, are entering the picture quite soon. Um, maybe there's been some external pressure from those looking to come into the sport to say, well, if we're going to make a power unit, we'd like to hit the ground running. So, you know, could you, could you have put something in place that almost levels the playing field? So, we really know what we're working towards. Yeah, that's a huge shout because if you look at the last major supplier that came in, it was Honda. We just already, like within the first five minutes of the podcast, sort of slightly laughed yeah. about how sad yeah. or, or challenging, you know, their first few years were and, you know, the unforgettable Alonso quote GP2 engine. So, so yeah, I suppose from a kind of marketing or brand perspective, if you're Ford or I don't know, I don't think Audi are going to make their own engines. Who knows? Maybe they will. But if you uh, Cadillac as well, if, if Andretti get their wish and come into the sport, you're not going to want to turn up and be sort of dramatically off the pace. But there we are. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I mean, it's a lot of money to invest, isn't it? I mean, we've already seen sort of Porsche half enter the picture and now they're not. And I couldn't quite figure out why. It seemed like there was lots of different reasons as to why that didn't happen and lots of... People in the media had their their own opinions, and I'm sure some of them were correct, and they've got way more insider knowledge than me. But uh, yeah, I, I couldn't help but wonder whether, um, looking at the other categories that Porsche are in, which do have more of a sort of level playing field and a technical perspective, whether that played a little bit of a part in it. Yeah, it's an interesting one with Porsche because if I'm not mistaken, like they had actually had some quite detailed conversations with Red Bull, and so mm. it seemed like that was a route they were going to go down. And we know Red Bull are going to bring Ford into the picture now, um, and and Porsche sort of pulled out quite publicly. So, so yeah, we'll see. Yeah. 2026, you know, engine equalization. We've got the cost cap. We've got the kind of inverted uh, sort of aero testing rules. So, fingers crossed, it brings the field together. I don't know. Who knows? Fingers crossed, yeah. I, I'd, uh, I just want to see Norris get his first win. He's, he's coming closer, so, you know, <laughs> if any technical assistance can help him achieve that, 
I'm all for it. <laughs> yeah, exactly, right? Well, to be honest, right, and, uh, you know, slightly going off topic, my favourite series at the moment is IndyCar, and I used to watch mm. it, like, ages and ages ago when they picked up a few former F1 drivers, uh, sorry, former F1 drivers, so I thought, oh, I know that name, I'll watch it. And it was quite entertaining then, but for whatever reason, I switched off. And now, like, obviously, there's a fantastic talent, uh, Alex Pelot, who's running away with a title, but genuinely, like, the wheel-to-wheel action, the... You know the cars are basically one of two engines, and and the aero is is spec. So yeah, the racing is much closer. Perhaps Formula One is looking at that, not necessarily to have a spec series, but to have that competitiveness. Perhaps. Yeah, I think so. And um, it's funny you mentioned IndyCar as well because I um, equally more recently I've started to, to to watch it a bit more than I, I normally used to. Um, I think. I'm just trying to think. Yeah, it's probably around the last couple of years, especially when I saw um, McLaren putting some of their indie drivers in test drives in Formula One. I thought, oh, who's this guy? And then started following Pato Award and and those sorts of drivers and learning they actually had, you know, they were in um, some of the F1 development academies earlier in their career and and then obviously moved to Indy. So. Yeah, from there I started to, to watch indie more, and it's it, it does have a, an awful lot of appeal um, in terms of the the wheel to wheel action for sure. It's uh, it's definitely hooked me. Absolutely, and I'm I'm sort of extremely saddened that you'd mentioned Pato Award because that is Den's my co-host's favourite indie car driver. So you know, fair play. <laughs> I, I'll have to accept that he is a great talent and he's growing. But you know what? Um, talking about indie car, it's actually a great way to segue into. Um, social mobility and motorsport and to hear more about your startup because what we're seeing at the moment in IndyCar is a lot of drivers uh, who simply cannot afford to continue to climb the ladder in sort of I guess what has been traditionally called European motorsport but perhaps FIA sanctioned motorsport and they have to find another way Um, and, and maybe your startup is actually much further down the pipeline in terms of getting people into motorsport at a younger age. Tell us a bit about your startup. Is it called, I don't know, is it IDACI or is it pronounced altogether as one word? What What is it called? <laughs> That's the question I get asked the most. <laughs> um, it's called Adachi, Adachi Motorsport. Um, so it's, it, I'll tell you what it stands for as well. Um, so it's, uh, it stands for inclusive, well, I'll speak inclusivity, diversity, adaptability, creativity, and integrity. Um, and the idea behind it is we, we wanted a, a company name that uh, embodied what we thought were the most important values um, within our small team that we are, um, within the careers that we've had so far and what we uh, felt was most important to uh, a young person's career as they move through STEAM, if we want to call it that, and specifically motorsport too. Um, and the values that I think, you know, the likes of regulators like Motorsport UK really want to champion as well within within racing and keeping things not just competitive and fair, but also uh, inclusive and, and diverse as well. So, uh, yeah, that's kind of where the name uh, originated from. Um, but, yeah, the startup itself, um, really how you view the startup is, is sort of depends on who you are. So if you're a young person, um, you will get to know us hopefully quite well as uh, a STEM club provider. So essentially our STEM clubs will run um, uh, sort of learning and three race championships uh, within the sort of science, technology, engineering, arts and maths field, if you like. So um, the three championships themselves are slot car racing or scale electrics, as most of the listeners will probably know it as, um, remote control car racing uh, and karting. 
Uh, and the idea is that we can provide uh, a pathway for someone as, as young as the age of eight. And we are trying to work on something that will, will lower that to, to six, uh, all the way through their education experience, all the way up to 18. Um, because what we found is when we looked at uh, lots of motorsport educational competitions and um, so what exists in the market currently, is you do one of these competitions, I won't name any because I, I think lots of them are great and I've even taken part in some myself. So, you, but you take part in the competition, you maybe do it for one year, maybe two, and then it's not really clear what you're supposed to do next um, and what that next step is for you. So what we wanted to do is create these sort of STEM clubs where it's, it's very clear, you know, as you move up through your academic experience, um, you can move up through our different championships so the age categories that they fall in um for eight to 11 year olds uh, so the sort of upper primary school age in the uk uh, that's where you would take part in our slot car championship um where you'll be tasked with designing and 3d printing your own bodywork for a, a small uh, model car and then you'll get to race it in various different race formats uh, on a scale electric set within your classroom and then um on, in bigger sort of regional and then hopefully if you're good enough uh, national uh, competitions um the remote control car championship is more of a full sort of design build test and race experience um and that covers age ranges from sort of 11 to 16 sort of covering the high school ages really um the idea is that it's integrated into the curriculum for design and technology that a student might learn across those different uh, age ranges. So it's not something additional we on schools and young people to do. It's very much enhancing what's already there, uh, which we thought was a really important thing to focus on. Because um, a lot of people kind of bash the education system and say, oh, it doesn't make people work ready and things like that. But we actually think there's an awful lot there to make young people work ready. It's just, it doesn't get exploited enough. Um, so really our programs are designed to exploit the maximum potential of existing qualifications and projects and so on. Um, and then the final championship, which is our uh, sort of 16 to 18 year category. So sort of college age in the UK, um, that's uh, focused on the design, build, uh, test and race of a four stroke go-kart. Um, so essentially if I was to pick, um, uh, to sort of summarize those competitions, they are combining the accessibility that you might find in taking part in something like Green Power, um, the Green Power Challenge, I should say, um, but mixed with the technical and professional development that you would get from something like a university level competition like Formula Student. Um, and then on top of that, because it's karting and not, you know, actual you know, wheel to wheel racing in all of the forms, you get that comp extra competitive element. Um, thrown in as well um so that's the kind of like stem clubs part um and how you would view as if you're if you're a young person um if you're say a parent or someone as part of the the sort of general public um you will hopefully come to know us in the future as more of a sports uh, spectator sports and entertainment entertainment um uh, business so the idea is that what we want to do is take our race championships uh, and really create a immersive uh, race experience for young people and their families um, at an affordable price as well. And essentially bringing the racing away from, you know, standard race tracks that we see and into sort of cities and arena style racing where everything is sort of done to scale. So essentially um, what we, what we're, yeah, what we're essentially really looking to do is showcase young people's talents from our STEM clubs 
the best racers in all of those different race championships um, and really put them out there um, almost in a similar style and way, if I was to liken it to something a bit like what Robot Wars used to do when it was on the BBC. You didn't have to have an awful lot of equipment and things to take part when it, in its original form anyway. Um, it kind of grew and grew and went down a different direction. But it combined entertainment for people who were watching, but also a significant STEM challenge for those who were actually taking part. And overall, as an overall package, ultimately, it was just fun. And that's what we really want to, to get across and, and us combined with some of the sponsors and partners that we're, we're working with at the moment um, to really just create a fun and showcase a fun kind of STEM motorsport experience um, for young people and their families, no matter what their background is um, and what their academic capability is, there is something for them, essentially. Gosh, you know, I, you took it right out of the words out of my mouth, robot wars. I was just thinking when you said, you know, <laughs> getting young people doing engineering on one hand and on the other, it's entertainment. Like, yeah, absolutely. And that was huge. I think in the UK, in the US, sort of, it's, it was a huge um, moment, maybe 20, 25 years ago. So, um, if you know, I presume you're based in the UK. So, like, if you're yeah. a parent in the UK or or perhaps even a child listening, um, how does one get involved? Like, presumably you've got to start somewhere and build up. Like, how many schools are you aiming to, to reach over time? Yeah, so we will be releasing our STEM clubs from October this year, so just after the start of the academic year. Um, as you can register your interest for our uh, slot car championship uh, now on our website. Um, but what we're essentially doing is building up the other championships ready for that STEM club uh, launch, if you like. Um, so those aren't fully ready yet in terms of being able to sign up and register an interest and things like that. But essentially, yeah, um, it, it can happen in two ways. You can either get involved um, by essentially your school, you know, coming to us through STEM learning, who we're working with and, um, uh, and, and essentially signing up students for the STEM club, um, which may either be like an after-school club outside of normal lessons, or it might be something that teachers decide, actually, we can integrate this into our normal design and technology lessons, and it just forms a normal part of the curriculum with the added benefit of it's a bit fun and we can also do some racing and, and break the lessons up a little bit, which I'm so sure the students would appreciate. Um, and then uh, the, the other way is, yeah, essentially, if you're if you're a parent, uh, you can uh, go on our website and as and when we've released the STEM clubs, we'll also uh, open up the um, entry uh, into our different championships, the remote control car racing and karting um, and slot car racing and, and sign up uh, directly through us. And then we'll provide all the information essentially for uh, their uh, young ones or even themselves if they were interested uh, to get involved in the STEM clubs um, and, and yeah, uh, take part that way. So it's uh, inclusivity, diversity, adaptability, creativity. Like if those aren't watchwords to live by, I don't know what they are. So, you know, good luck. Um, we're, we're, we're sort of in your corner and definitely uh, keen to see how this progresses. I guess my question, if, if we sort of take it back to you as a child, like you talked yeah. a bit about like um, you were playing on those slot cars, scale electrics, other models are available at your nan's house. Like, yeah. Thinking about your first memories, like, and you getting into engineering, 
what are you doing to kind of reach, you know, to rekindle that that magic, that uh, enticement, and get and getting people from different backgrounds, um, you know, gender diversity, uh, socioeconomic diversity, ethnic diversity. What are you doing in able to reach uh, in order to reach those people? Yeah, so a lot of this is really sort of um, well, I guess for, to start with, so me, I, I guess um, I, what we want to do is is create the feelings that I had as, as a youngster in terms of um, like the amount of how, how would I put this I used to I guess daydream a lot when I was uh, a youngster when I was playing with those toys about you know and I'm sure we all did it even maybe we had a carpet that had sort of like road markings on it and things like that and make our own little racetracks and stuff and you always imagine that the toys are much bigger and greater than than they are and that's kind of what we want to to do is is sort of really elevate those toys if you want to call them that um to the ma- their maximum potential if i was to liken it to anything um there was a, a great tv show years and years ago uh from one of my favorite presenters uh, called james may's toy stories um and yeah that was uh quite a bit of an inspiration when i saw what he did with uh, slot cars and and some of the toys that i used to play with including things like toy trains and and uh, and so on um so that's one element of it we want to sort of grab audiences into motorsport who maybe wouldn't normally pick it up just from something really really loud and screaming you know screaming v8 engine or whatever coming through the tv and maybe that's not their kind of thing um but something that's just sort of fun and um, a little bit more, uh, what's the word I'm looking for, attainable, um, if you like. Um, so that's one element of it. The second element of it with regards to the diversity and inclusion piece is really how we shape the STEM clubs. So, uh, and also our, our, our price points as well, realistically. Um, we've been very careful with the, how uh, the, the fees that we would request of schools um, to take part in our championships, and um, we've been working very hard with sponsors and so uh, and partners to uh, really focus on driving the price down as much as we can for the end user um, for those to take part. So that's kind of the sort of economic mobility piece. Um, and then, yeah, essentially the the structure uh, and things that we're putting in place with uh, uh, with partners and internally for our, our STEM clubs and tapping into the wider knowledge that exists within STEM learning, which is the government organization, which uh, manages pretty much every STEM ambassador in the UK. Um, and tapping into that wide array of knowledge um, of how we target, say, groups like uh, those with special educational needs, those who would really, really struggle to get into motorsport just because of the current nature of, of what it takes to be able to drive and things like that. So you know, these these entry points that we've put forward with our with our toys, if you want to call them those, uh, I can't hate calling them that, but it is what they are. Um, and with our with our championships, if you like, um, they are as accessible as they possibly can be in the sense that they are um, no different to what would be, um, what normal activities w- w- you would find in a, in a classroom. And that's been our, our, our biggest sort of focus really with regards to, um, to making this as in- inclusive as we possibly can. Um, and our race formats as well uh, are really focused on uh, just being fun as uh, more than anything. Um, and almost at some points a little bit silly, but it takes away 
um, some of the, the stress that you might feel if you're, you're entering into motorsport um, uh, uh, initially. Um, as your first time into the sport, you know, it, it might just all be a bit overwhelming um, with, you know, having to design and build your own uh, little car and things like that if you've never done it. So um, our race formats and the way that we break up our sessions is something that we've really sort of focused on um, to make sure that we've, um, yeah, made this as inclusive as we, as we possibly can from no matter what kind of background or um, thing that you, you might be dealing with at that point in your life. Incredible. Uh, and I, I, my older son is just in the youngest age bracket that you mentioned earlier. So, you know, mm. after this, I'm definitely going to drop an annoying email to his head teacher to say, come on, <laughs> sign up, sign up uh, to adapt you. So um, you mentioned dreaming on the carpet, you know, like kind of with those toy cars. Uh, yeah. I, I also like, I don't know if you did, it's got some chalk outside in the, you know, on the pavement or something and made little bespoke tracks you know we're all dreaming what are you dreaming of with Idachi, your startup what are your goals where are you trying to get to or what 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 change are you trying to achieve in the real world um i suppose the goal so there is one big goal that i would like to achieve with Idachi, and and that's um i would like us to be the first uh, or one of the first at least um broadcast uh, circuit racing championships uh, in Africa. That's a big ambition of mine because I, I genuinely believe that we have the championships in place and, and the structure there uh, for us to be the first to really break that market that we've seen, you know, we've seen the likes of Formula One and Lewis Hamilton has called for we, we, years. We'd love to see a race in Africa. Talks have happened with South Africa. We've had a Grand Prix in South Africa before. Um, not in my lifetime, as far as I'm aware anyway, unless I've just missed something. But uh, yeah, uh, that's a, a really big goal of, 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 uh, of the business moving forward for um, in, in the upcoming years and something that we, we were actively you know, engaging in early conversations to try and figure out how we would actually go about uh, making that a reality. Um, so far, the things have, have been quite promising, I have to say. Um, in terms of my own personal goals as well, um, to be honest, I really get a kick out of just making people smile, as cheesy as that sounds. I just want this to be entertaining for people. You know, I, I've kind of likened it to, to others as I almost want it to be like the theme park experience. It's so, you know, m- many, many people in their lives will get the chance to go to a theme park and they are in the grand scheme of things, I would say, generally quite accessible. And that's something that I've really modeled what I want our uh, fan, future fans, if you like, uh, to, to really feel when they come to our race events. You're not just there to watch. You're there to actually get stuck in um, and, and really, you know, even if you weren't part of the STEM clubs, there's no reason why you can't have a go, you know, um, with, with the championships that we've got and the, the two that will sit hopefully uh, either side of the current age brackets that we have as well. So, um yeah, that's that's my big ambition. I mean, one of the most um, like oh, what's the word I'm looking for? One of the most uh, nicest moments in my career so far um, was when I was doing some STEM ambassador work and I was uh, running a project uh, for some high school students at a local college here in Portsmouth, where I'm based. Um, and uh, I was doing it alongside the NHS during 
it was kind of locked down. We were starting to come out of it, but a lot of it was, was started online and then we were able to come and do some sessions in person. Uh, but anyway, yeah, so we, we, we got to the end of that project and, and the students had absolutely loved it. I, I couldn't, you know, wish for, for a, better, a better group. Um, all different backgrounds, all different experiences um, of STEM previously. Um, and one of them came up to me and said that uh, uh, he'd applied for an apprenticeship at this company that he'd always wanted to work for. Um, and he got it. And I said, oh, congratulations. And then he told me how he got it. And he uh, basically, he said, this interviewer had a set of questions in front of him. And uh, uh, it was started by, you know, sort of going through them sort of line by line. It was very rigid. And then he started to talk about the project that I'd created during lockdown for these students. He put the sheet of paper to one side and for the next 45 minutes just grilled him on his role in that uh, in that project. Um, and when he told me that it was basically the you know the thing that allowed him to really sell himself, give him the confidence, um, and you know really go for for that role in the first place, let alone nail the interview using what he'd learned in the project that I'd set up, that was one of the most satisfying moments, if not the most satisfying moment I've ever had in my career so far. And I think to be honest, with with this business, I just want to be able to give young people the chances that maybe I didn't necessarily have when I was younger as well. So yeah, my, my biggest, biggest goal is to be able to see what I've put out there is able to do that for, if it's just one young person, I'll, I'll be happy in, in the, you know. Absolutely. And that is a extremely sort of moving story to know that, you know, at least one person's sort of future has been positively influenced by you. And I'm sure it's many, many more. Um, so if people are at home listening to this, um, can they support you in some way? Can they support Idachi? Uh, what, what's the best thing we can do uh, to kind of help gain profile for your organization? Uh, I would say, well, we're most active on Instagram. So if you search for Adachi Motorsport on Instagram, uh, please give us a follow. Um, it's, yeah, it's definitely our most active social media account. Um, uh, professionally, if you want to follow us, uh, then LinkedIn is also another one that we, uh, that we use quite regularly at the moment. Those are our, are our big two. Um, but yeah, that's, I, I think that's probably one of the biggest things that most of the viewers uh, can do. And just um, share it with your, your, your friends and your family as well with, with what we're doing. Um, you know, recently we were at the Goodwood Festival of Speed. Um, <laughs> couldn't quite believe that we, uh, we just, in the 30 years that the Goodwood Festival of Speed has been running, we managed to exhibit on the year when Saturday uh, was completely ruined by strong winds. But uh, <laughs> never mind. Um, but we, yeah, when we were at Goodwood, um, what was really incredible to see when we had one of our demo uh, tracks uh, there in our tent um, was not just the number of people that wanted to come and engage with what we were doing. It was how many people actually came back the next days. How many people, we, when I spoke to them, said, oh, are you here for the full four days or three, as it turned out? Um, and they said, yes. Uh, and, you know, you say, oh, come back tomorrow and we'll have something else for you to try. And, and you don't really expect people to come back. Generally, most people don't. But the vast majority of you know they they did and and they brought their friends as well so um i feel like when we have been able to get this in front of people they've really uh taken to it and and the story and, and what we're trying to achieve so um yeah if you uh share it with your friends and family just in conversation tell them to look at our social media and our website um the one thing you will find on our website as well is an affiliate program um so 
that is essentially a program where if you bring in a customer uh, for us, you'll get a percentage back of the revenue that's generated from that. So literally, you can essentially earn a bit of money from a conversation. So <laughs> uh, get yourself signed up to that as well. If that's something you think you know someone uh, out there who would be interested um, in signing up for one of our championships. Um, yeah, definitely go and, and sign up for that because you, you've really got nothing to lose uh, with that one. But yeah, that's probably a, a couple of ways in which you could support us uh, right now, definitely. That's fantastic. Um, I just, this is so, you know, this is one of the best ideas I think I've ever heard, like partly on the kind of commercial <laughs> side in terms of how many endorsements this this um, is just waiting to receive, but also just from the educational and impact side. So so best of luck. And in a bit, I'm really intrigued to hear a bit more about, um, you know, your professional life in in the sort of defense sector and also what it's like to run a startup. But before we do that, we tend to break things up with a bit of a, a quick game. Um, okay. So my, I guess my question to you, because we can do this about drivers or we can do this about engineers, but it's called Taxi mm-hmm. Dinner Avoid. And it's kind of a PG version of another game, which you may have heard elsewhere. But Basically, you've got to pick someone to drive you to dinner. You've got to pick someone in the taxi, that is. You've got to pick someone uh, to have dinner with, and you've got to pick someone to avoid. Usually, we say, you know, Formula One drivers on the current grid. So you can either do that, or if you're sort of super clued up on the engineers in F1, you can you can do a special edition. But it's up to you. Uh, which would you prefer to play? Um I think for the sake of the listeners, let's go drivers. <laughs> <laughs> okay, right. Well, look, taxi dinner avoid, F1 drivers. Who's going to take you to dinner? Who are you going to have dinner with? And who are you just going to avoid? Okay. Oof. Uh, I want to think about the future of my business here. No, I'm joking. Um, <laughs> yeah, pick someone um, that is not consequential to the key places you want to go to. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> um, right. Ooh, this is tough. This is really tough. Um, I ooh, I would love to have dinner with, and I'm only going to say this actually, literally I saw a video uh, of him uh, about an hour ago on my Instagram uh, talking about uh, uh, like the risks associated with Formula One and uh, like from the period that this guy was racing. Um, yeah, I'd love to learn a lot more about that and some of the stories that he's got. So I would love to have dinner with um, Sterling Moss. Um, I would love to be driven there uh, by Lando because I think I, well, he's the thing is he's also I think he's at Tomorrowland right now with Max Verstappen uh, and Martin Garrick. So he'd bring the tunes in the car as well as be an amazing driver. So. Uh, yeah, I'd certainly get to the dinner in style and, and pro- probably with, with a few thrills as well and some good beats. Uh, <laughs> um, and then uh, what was the other one? Was the other one avoid? Who would I want to avoid? Yeah, it's slightly more controversial. Usually people think they're going to duck it and then they work out a way of answering it. So like, over to you, really, up to you. <laughs> Who do I avoid? Um, uh... I don't know. Who would I avoid? Um, hmm. um, oh my God, this is so hard. Um, I would probably say, um, 
I honestly have no idea. I'm so struggling here. Probably because I didn't, I didn't, I'm being completely honest now, and I'm like a haters. I didn't particularly um, enjoy, I don't think I particularly enjoy a conversation with someone like Nikita Mazepin. If I was, I mean, that's that's an acceptable (laughs) answer. You kind of, Found the way. You found the way. Okay. All right. Well, I mean, maybe Nikita's an extremely nice guy. Uh, we just, we just don't. Yeah. Know. Uh, yeah. No. He he may well be. Um, he may well be. But you can only go off what you, what you see. You know. Yeah. So. Yes. Absolutely. The less said about his social media posts, uh, etc., the better. Yes. Um, yeah. Absolutely. So um, yeah. Uh, well, look, uh, you managed to demonstrate a great deal of di- diplomacy uh, there, but also your sort of interest in Sterling Moss and the history uh, and the safety of the sport. So let's um, let's go back to you and a bit about what it's like in your life at the moment, because because I, I get the impression you're trying to, I say trying, you're succeeding in uh, having a sort of quite a busy or it looks like quite a successful uh, day job. Uh, for a major firm, but also running a startup. So, like, what's that like? What's life like for you at the moment? Um, yeah, there's a lot, there's a lot of juggling of things, uh, <laughs> to say the least. Um, uh, my phone calendar and my work calendars are my best friend at the moment, uh, just to make sure I everything. Um, it's yeah, it it is busy um, for sure, uh, but I, I don't think I'd have it any other way. Really, I think everybody who's um, especially where I used to work as well before my, my current employer will, will probably know um, some of them would have described me as a workaholic. I have toned it back a little bit uh, since, since then. Um, but yeah, I, it's, uh, it, it is busy, but it's, you know, I think when you're doing something that you really care about um, with, you know, the startup and um, it's something, I mean, the, the, the idea kind of first popped into my head, I would say, just as I finished university, which would have been uh, around the summer of 2020. Um, it started to form in my head, really. Um, and it's kind of just sort of been, it, it was parked for a few years whilst I sort of got things going with my uh, with my career in, in defence. And um, and I, you know, I previously worked uh, there before doing sort of in, in Portsmouth before doing internships for um, a very similar company to the one I work for now. Um, so yeah, that was all kind of sort of progressing nicely and things. And then um, I guess that yeah, there came a point where I just really sort of wanted to um, to bring this idea to the forefront. And I thought, well, um, I can either do it now or I could wait until maybe uh, if my future kids have probably gone on to you know university or whatever, and they're not you know running around a future house and things like that. And and I'll be I'll be quite a lot older, and maybe I'll have even forgotten the idea. So <laughs> um, I thought now is the time to really go for it but no i'm i'm enjoying um i'm enjoying both sides at the moment i think uh it's it's certainly a challenge but uh yeah i've um i i feel i feel quite supported supported from sort of both both sides of it really which is quite nice no absolutely it does make a difference i can hear the passion in your voice so it must make it easier sort of getting up that hour earlier or working that extra hour uh to deliver what you're you're doing so I guess the like inverse question is, because if you're a busy guy, you said that your calendar is your best friend. Um, what is What does downtime look like for you? How do you recharge and how do you look after your sort of mental well-being? Um, so the calendar definitely includes pretty much every single Formula One race weekend. 
<laughs> so there's always time put aside to watch at least one of the practice sessions and then some qualifying and normally a full race. Um, much to the, the dismay of my girlfriend who uh, uh, tries to like motorsport Formula One with me, but maybe doesn't really enjoy it anywhere near as much as me. Um, but yeah, um, I, to be honest, in terms of downtime, I'm, um, you know, in the past, what, just over a year now, I've, I've been together with my, with my current partner um, and she's been like fantastic for me really in terms of ensuring that I do focus a little bit more on myself and um, making sure I, you know, we'll do some exercise and um, just do some things with her as well. You know, it's, uh, it's probably the best distraction I could possibly have if that's <laughs> a way to put it. Um, yeah. Um, I think in terms of things that I do um, uh, for, sort of for myself, I'm, I'm, I must admit I'm not perfect. Uh, there are times where, I do really get absorbed in the work um, and I do have to be told um, currently by my girlfriend, but I'm, I'm working too much and I need to f focus on some other things. Um, and I certainly don't get that right. But I think for me, yeah, just putting in little reminders in my calendar, you know, text this person, go, we're going to go to watch the new Mission Impossible film. Other films are available, but, you know, other, uh, we're going to go, gonna go do something like that or, um, I'm just going to sit and watch some, some nice TV or something like that, which I, I enjoy doing. And um, the only thing I, the one thing I really actually love to do, which I don't really get the chance to do a, a lot, more so because of location uh, more than anywhere else, is is hiking. Um, I love kind of decluttering my mind by just going somewhere remote and just walking for ages. Um, obviously, I've got the South Downs being in Portsmouth, like on my doorstep, but. I went to university in Lancaster and uh, anyone who's maybe listening who's sort of from that area will know the Lake District is on your doorstep. Uh, and when I was at uni, I was in the hiking club uh, in my third year and it was probably one of the best, if not the most happiest year of my life really, because I was part of that and just able to sort of escape pretty much every weekend uh, or every other weekend, uh, weather permitting, which is a thing obviously in the Lake District. But uh, yeah, uh, if I was to add anything else in terms of personal hobbies and bring something back, it, it would be that. Um, but I feel like I, I'm, I'm okay at striking the balance um, between work and, and giving myself a bit of time. No, well, absolutely. And, you know, your 20s are for working yourself to the bone. If capitalism hasn't taught us that, you know, what will? <laughs> but there we are. No, uh, that's an aside. Um, okay, well, you know, it's incredibly inspiring and, and sort of energising to hear what you're up to and, and how you make it all work. Um, let's let's tip back into kind of current events. And we're at the, uh, in Formula One, we're at the midway point-ish in the season. We're certainly at the summer break. Usually uh, this is the point on our podcast when we'd ask guests for predictions for the season. Clearly that is slightly too easy this year, I would say. Um, unless unless you want to bet against Max to be the champion. I don't know. I'll, I'll, give, I'll pause and give you that opportunity. I don't know. Uh, as much as I would like someone else to win, no, I don't think it's going to be anybody else. <laughs> no, okay. And I'm sure, like, for Max fans in our listener base, I'm sure there are one or two. Um, you it's not because you dislike Max, presumably, but more no, you want a bit, no. of, bit of mixture in the, in, the, in the winner's circle, you want some different winners, yeah, exactly. Um, but not sort of Abu Dhabi 2021 scenario mm. where. Yeah, grey area, but <laughs> no, a natural sort of competition. Um, and yeah, it, honestly, the battle from sort of Perez to 
I don't know, sort of Lance Stroll and all those teams and drivers that sit within it in the championship at the moment would be a pretty amazing season. Um, yeah, mm. if, if <laughs> it's more from a perspective of if Max wasn't racing in Formula One, then yeah, it would be it would be pretty epic. Um, I think at the moment watching that season, just watching it ebb and flow, which we haven't. I can know. I think it was about it was 2011 or 2012 when they had eight different race winners in the first nine or ten races or something like that. Mm. Um, yeah, I that it would be nice to get something like that again. Um, which hopefully 2026 we might see something like that. Yeah, it's one of those weird things, and I don't know, maybe I'm just getting long in the tooth, as we'd say here in the UK, but like the the racing always gets closer towards the end of a regulation cycle, but yeah. Formula One will have already by that point made the decision to change the regs, and then when mm. the regs come in, there's always a team, well, usually a team that has the advantage. You know, we go back to Braun uh, in 2009, and then obviously Mercedes... Uh, in 2014 and now Red Bull. So, yeah, I mean, maybe 2026 is going to be our salvation in terms of competitiveness, but I would guess, uh, well, at least we've got a better hope of things getting closer under the current regs. But who knows? Who knows? Uh, We'll see. Um, Yeah, fingers crossed. crossed. Yeah, absolutely. Sorry, go So my question to you was going to be, so let's predict the future even further. Let's take it a year, go 2024. I'm not asking you to predict whether Max is still going to have that sort of second lap uh, sort of pace advantage you seem to have. But like, are there some drivers that you think, uh, like pick a driver that you think won't be on the grid next season from the current lineup. Here's a good one. And and pick a driver that you think isn't currently on the grid, but, you know, has a chance of appearing in 2024. It's a tricky one, but uh, I'm mm. sure you're up. Yeah, it is a tricky one. Um There's a driver, in my opinion, I think could be most deserving of a spot in Formula One. uh, And that, for me, would be Alex Pelot. Because I think, you know, you look at the... Well, it was reported uh, in a test session um, alongside uh, Lando and McLaren that he was within a couple of of tenths of of Lando when he got into the car. Um, Which is a pretty you know, good, <laughs> it's a good uh, a benchmark, I would think. Uh, so I would be really, really kind of excited to see instead of a driver going from Formula One to IndyCar, we see it come the other way for a change um, and just see how they do. Um, yeah, that would be, that, that would be a driver I'd love to see um, on the grid. Who do I think will not? And in a way with, with Alex. So, uh, yeah. yeah, well, tell me, who, who do you think is going to have to make way for Alex Pelot? I mean, presumably not one of the McLaren drivers since they're both doing an exceptional job. So, yeah, yeah who's, who's yeah. going to drop out? Um, hmm, I don't, people would probably maybe expect me to say someone like Logan Sargent, but I, I don't think he will go. I think, I, I think, yeah, he, he takes a bit of flack for, you know, his performances, but, you know, one, he is a rookie. Um, two, whenever you hear, and I, I, forgive me because I've forgotten the Williams uh, 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 boss now, um, James Bowes. Yes, I think. Right, yeah. um, whenever whenever he gives interviews, um, and I know they're not always going to tell 100% the truth, but uh, whenever he gives interviews and he gets asked about Logan's, about Logan's uh, performance, he does always speak quite highly. Um, you know, even if he makes a mistake, he's like, well, and the other times when he hasn't made a mistake, he has been pretty much on the pace with Alex 
um, or he's been within a tenth. And the difference you see is just over, obviously, a race distance. And things are quite tight um, in the midfield pack as well. So if you are slightly off, it's really going to show um, in terms of where you finish. So I don't feel like he's doing a particularly bad job. And I think he will get another shot at it next year. Um Although there are some good top talents in Formula 2 kind of sniffing around for maybe that, that seat. Um, who do I genuinely think might not be there? Um, bold call. I don't think Daniel Ricciardo will be on the grid next year. Um, I think I can't see him doing well enough to convince them that the, the Red Bull bosses both on the AlphaTauri side and within the actual Red Bull um, uh, main team, that uh, he should replace uh, Sergio. Um, because I think although, you know, Red Bull maybe would like someone closer in that second seat, at the end of the day, Perez is still, correct me if I'm wrong, he is second in the championship, um, I think, at the right. moment. So, um, yeah, I, I think... He's, he's doing enough of a job at the moment and can afford some occasional you know blips in form to to be the sort of number two driver and to, to you know not cause uh, a disturbance in the force if you like <laughs> uh, at Red Bull um so yeah I as a driver I don't think will be there I, I think Daniel Ricardo unfortunately I don't think he's gonna outperform Sonoda enough to convince uh, Red Bull that he should have a sec the second seat at Red Bull and I think with the talent that's sort of waiting around in Formula 2 you know Alpha Tauri doesn't necessarily like to have lots of experienced drivers in its ranks for too long so yeah I can kind of envisage it would be sort of you know sorry Ricardo you've got to go and then maybe depending on how the likes of Frederick Besti does in the uh, test that he's got coming up relatively soon with Mercedes, he might fill that slot. Um, I know it's, you know, Mercedes, Red Bull, all, there's all that to, to sort of work out. But we have seen, you know, Nick De Vries, who was in this, um, well within the sort of Mercedes framework, if you like, go and race at Alpha Tauri. Um, it didn't necessarily work out how everyone thought, but, you know, um, nothing's impossible. So, yeah, that Sadly, because I do kind of like Daniel Ricciardo, to be honest, but I, I just don't think there will really be a place for him to go. And I don't think he'd necessarily want to stay at Alfa Tauri as well, either, for more than the rest of this year. No, it's a good question. You know, he's, I think he's got a 12th and a 16th or 13th and a, yeah, 13th and a 16th Ricciardo this season so far, um, mm. which isn't much different to Nick De Vries. And actually, um, you know, I think long gone are the days when the, Alpha Tari um, would get like a fourth or a seventh, you know, the, the car that Gasly managed to drag up the field. So um, it is a it's a tough car, and yeah, I don't mm. I, I don't want to write off Ricciardo. Actually, let's let's give him a few races, you know, and let's see. Yeah, um, I, I agree with you on Logan Sargent. Actually, I think he's been in the wrong place at the wrong time every now and then. You know, like in mm. maybe it was Saudi or something. One of the first races of the season, he was really unlucky not to kind of get out of Q3. He had like good laps and then he might go over the white line and lose them and and, and yeah. then sort of have a few incidents here or there. But yeah, he definitely merits a second season. But, you know, Formula One, there's a podcast out there um, by uh, our friends of the show, Ben Hunt, uh, who's the Sun correspondent for Motorsport. And uh, it's called Inside the Piranha Club uh, for a reason, uh, because clearly it's a cutthroat uh, industry. So 
So who knows? Uh, we'll see. And, you know, if Alex Pelot can make the grid, it would be really fascinating to see how he does uh, on, on the sort of European or the sort of global circuit as opposed to the US, US one. Let's see. Yeah, definitely. No, I'm, uh, I think he will be um, a bit of a surprise package next year if he's given the chance, Sergeant. Yeah, and that's the thing. If he's given a chance, that's kind of quite a big yeah. uh, caveat these days. Uh, and, you know, De Vries, for me, merited at least the season to, to see if he mm. could have an upturn. But there we are. Agreed. <laughs> yeah. So, um, fantastic. Um, we've done a bit of current events. As we're bringing the show to a close, uh, we like to ask a couple of questions of our guests. I suppose um, the penultimate one really is whether you have... Kind of any messages you want to put out there um you seem like someone that wants to kind of bring equality to all um from the perspective of motorsport and steam subjects and getting people to kind of grow um is there a message you want to leave our, our listeners with in particular yeah i guess um i guess firstly you know do something you love uh, or try and find the thing that you that makes you passionate in life uh it would be the uh, the thing that I, I would say, uh, it sounds like a very easy thing to say, but, um, you know, making little baby steps towards it is definitely uh, better than nothing. It's something that I've learned for sure. Um, and just there is no right time to start your passion uh, and the thing that, that gets you out of bed in the morning, if you like, or gives you that extra little push to get out of bed in the morning. Um, and I guess the other thing I would also say as well is um, uh, social and economic mobilities, I, I would say and this might just be my perspective, I don't know if it's shared, but I feel like it is within the topic of diversity and inclusion and, and equity um, or equality, whichever one you want to pick. It's quite, it can be quite often overlooked. Um, there was actually, there was a STEM report uh, that was released by the Department for Education not so long ago. And this report, I won't go into the whole details of it, but essentially it was over a hundred pages long. Um, and I was, I was looking in there expecting to see, you know, a decent sized chunk on, social and economic mobility in the UK and, and some statistics and things. And, and when I opened the report, what I actually found was um, out of the whole 100 plus page report, uh, socioeconomic backgrounds as a topic covered half of one page, which was quite surprising, <laughs> to be honest, because to me, it, to talk about all the other issues that we, uh, that we do within diversity and inclusion and equality, we really need to focus on also the things that affect pretty much every single one of us. Um, you know, even if you do have, uh, if you are fortunate to be economically wealthy, um, there's always improvements that you can make with regards to, you know, social mobility, making people aware of opportunities. Um, and at the complete opposite end of the spectrum too, you know, if you've got, um, if you've got a lot of connections around you, but you can't make it happen, the, the, fa the famous phases, uh, phrase is, um, uh, it's, it's hard to be what you can't see. Um, so I think the, the thing that I would like people to think about is you know, when you go back to work tomorrow or, uh, or to school or to college or whatever, whoever the listeners are, um, just, th just think about, um, yeah, th think about when we're having discussions in the workplaces and so on about equality, diversity and inclusion, um, how that socioeconomic piece can actually fit into the conversation because I think sometimes it can be quite overlooked. And really, for me, it's the basis in which you build everything else. I couldn't agree more. And clearly, you know, there's no diversity of thought on this call, unfortunately. But um, 
like socioeconomic diversity for me, it can be an uncomfortable topic for some because, uh, you know, if if we take um, if we take everything sort of at face value and charitably, I think everybody does want a more diverse, inclusive, and equal um, society and, and workplace and and so on. Um, but actually, when you know you're in a workplace, for example, as I am, and I don't know if you are, but where actually uh, the socioeconomic diversity is quite poor, it's quite low, and if you start talking about it, actually it can make people feel quite uncomfortable in a way that perhaps they are now, you know, interestingly less comfortable to talk about gender diversity, even if it's a man that you're talking to or um, racial diversity, even if it's a white person you're talking to. So yeah, you're right. It's an interesting one to try and make sure is at the forefront and, uh, you know, credit to you for what you do. No, thank you. Thank you very much. Brilliant. So, you know, on that profound note, we then ask a bit of a silly question. Uh, and the setup to that is, uh, no, I, I usually say it's the most important question on the podcast, but like, um, do you do you like pizza? Just, I mean, no one's ever said no, but I have to check these things. Uh, I had a pizza yesterday, so yes. Okay. <laughs> right. Okay. Okay. Right. We're on a good footing. We, we wouldn't have, this is a vetting thing where we wouldn't have let you on if you didn't like pizza. It's great. Uh, okay. So the key question, it all comes down to this. Pineapple on pizza, yes or no? Uh, no. <laughs> that was a bold, a bold statement. Welcome to the club. I love it. Like Georgie <laughs> is very pro pineapple. Me, you know, all the greats. Me, Mario Andretti, yourself. You know, anyone that's been on this podcast that said uh, no pineapple, I, I'm here for you. So, so fantastic. And, and I'm sure, I'm sure you wouldn't stand in the way of other people should they, you know, want to have pineapple, but just not for yourself. No, absolutely. Uh, yeah, uh, to be honest, the fact that I don't have pineapple means you can have more on yours. So, yeah. Wow. See, that, that's a kind of entrepreneur. You just found a way to make it seem like an opportunity for someone else. Fantastic. That's brilliant. <laughs> Good. All right. Um, where can people find you? You talked about Instagram for your business and LinkedIn. So Instagram, what is the handle? Uh, at Adachi Motorsport is the handle. Okay. Um, yeah. So I-D-A-C-I, Adachi. Yeah. Brilliant yeah. and a motorsport, brilliant. And uh, Ryan Yates on uh, on LinkedIn, right? Uh, yeah, I do, I do have a personal Instagram, but I don't really use it that much, to be honest. Um. Okay, all right. Well, who knows? You know, we'll maybe you'll we'll have an uptick when you know. I can imagine you at the Kyle Army Grand Prix um, doing a co co promote with the new Grand Prix and and uh, you know your first steps into the African continent. So so fingers crossed, you realise that vision. <laughs> thank you no, thanks very much and thanks for having me as well this is uh this is actually my first podcast so i'm okay delighted to have the first of many it. remember us you know when you're sort of swanning <laughs> around in a very inclusive way on the grid we we want to you know recall uh, our time together it's been a real pleasure ryan and and uh you know we all wish you the best i'm sure the listeners would join me in saying that no, thank you very much. And uh, yeah, it's been, it's been an absolute pleasure. And I'm just making a note that uh, I'm going to give you a shout out when I become famous. So Brilliant. Okay. <laughs> uh, well, you know, I'm sure it's a long list, but you know, I trust you as someone that is fastidious in your planning that you will, you will shout us out. So uh, thank you everyone for joining us this week. Um, before you go, if you've made it an hour deep in the podcast, please, it's free of charge. Just give us a like. If you're listening to us on watching us on, on YouTube, if you're listening to us on your uh, sort of podcast platform of choice comment uh, make sure you're sort of following us or subscribe to us 
And give us feedback on Twitter. We're at Strip the Dip. We're also on Instagram. Uh, I, I'll admit, Georgie does that. Instagram, I've never really gotten to that level. So I'm, I'm a basic tr- uh, Twitter guy, at Strip the Dip. So without further ado, until next time, this has been your unusual co-host, F1 Blag. See you soon. Goodbye. <laughs>